Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. His voice sounds like angels ought to sound. Brian. <laughs> Me? He says his name is Brian. Yeah, I could see that. In 2005, the nominees for Best Picture were Good Night and Good Luck, Capote, Brokeback Mountain, Munich, and Crash. But today, we both got ourselves a fine new coat and got our hands dirty with another big release from that year. The movie, Sin City, the directors, Robert Rodriguez, Frank Miller, and a guest sequence by Quentin Tarantino. Here's the trailer. Do a thing to me, Hardigan. There'll be a risk. There'll be death. Nothing can stop this. Time to prove to your friends that you're worth a damn. We'll fight the cops and the mob. We'll go to war. This isn't some barroom, bro. This is the bad days. The all or nothing days. They're back. A hard top with a decent engine and make sure it's got a big trunk. Not the only movie Robert Rodriguez directed. He also wrote and directed in 2005, The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever see that? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I've seen Spy Kids. I have seen Spy Kids as well. Anyway, this one I think has a little more is a little more prestige. Sin City. I don't know about prestige. <laughs> this thing is pulp to the core, which I, I, I which I say positively. Yes, just to... pulp to the point of prestige. Is that what it's aiming for? <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll get into it. Um, the uh, Sin Sin City won no got no Oscar nominations, but the Cannes Film Festival, usually the the crowning prestige film festival in the world. Uh, Robert Rodriguez won the technical grand prize and it was nominated for the Palme d'Or. I mean, how did this not be nominated for any technical Oscars whatsoever? It it does seem odd for no. Because it's too grungy. You know, the Oscars won't have it. (laughs) 
Um, there were three three directors, as you mentioned, received directing credit for Sin City. Frank Miller, who wrote the graphic novels, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. And um, by the way, the, the scene that Tarantino did was the drive to the pits scene, mm-hmm. uh, which I did not, I, I didn't guess. I thought it was the, is it Miho? Yeah. Deadly I, I, little Miho. I was thinking that that was the Tarantino scene, but I was wrong. Um, so the Directors Guild of America refused to allow two directors that were not an established team to be credited, especially since Miller had never directed before. So Rodriguez um, quit the Directors Guild, and so he could make sure to keep the uh, the credit the same. I'm not wow. sure all the all the technical rules, but I kind of like that. Rodriguez I, is awesome. I kind of like that. He's my hero. Um, it was made for forty million dollars, and the box office was one hundred and sixty million. Nice. Uh, coming up in the show, Farley Awards, Golden Takes, Question, Imagine, Talk Trivia. And will this be in your top five? <laughs> but first. <laughs> you don't like this, the, uh, the directness of my stare right now, Mike? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if there was a second part there. Oh, I, no, I, no. Didn't, I wasn't sure if you were going to drop a hammer on me. But, no, um, the hammer is up. All right. Well, our Farley Awards. And for me, it's not a moment. It's a thing. And I am a huge sucker for punchy noir dialogue, Hmm. which is kind of at the center of this entire movie. Mm -hmm. And I think why I like it so much is because no one talks like this in real life. These are words and a cadence that only exists in stories. Mm -hmm. So right when you hear it, you know that you're in a different reality and Sin City goes all in on alternate reality. The blood is bright white. Physics don't matter. People wear ridiculous clothing and nothing even tries to look real. And that's where we kind of get into, is it so grungy that it goes into prestige? It's kind of similar to my Revenge of the Sith take where the movie sort of pushes so far into artificiality that it kind of comes out the other end, not feeling real exactly, but feeling like its own authentic world and feeling like a comic book. And there have been a lot of good comic book adaptations out there, but not very many, I'd say, that feel like the page. And this mm-hmm. one definitely feels like an extension of that, which I love. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I agree. It's it, As uh, I think Robert Rodriguez said, yeah, he wanted this to be not an adaptation, but a translation. Mm. But that was an interesting distinction. Yeah. So my Farley Award is for Marv. Yes. the uh, Played by Mickey Rourke. Um, this is who the, uh, and I, I flipped through the, the graphic novel, which was in the box set that you let me borrow, which the filter didn't work and I had to go through all kind of hoops to get the filter, but it all worked out. It all worked out. <laughs> um, but this is who leads the, the beginning of the graphic novel yeah. with like the, it was the first Sin City book, the tape, you know, the, the band-aids that look like little, you know, it's, it's just, uh, anyway, Marv is, is I think what kind of stands out the most to me in, in the movie. Frank Miller described Marv as Conan in a trench coat, Mm -hmm. which I think is cool. But when he escapes the police, this is my Farley word, he dives down the stairwell, grabs the railing like it's uneven bars in the gymnastics, slams against it, flips back up onto the stairs, he jumps out of the window like he's skydiving um, and lands, and, but with no parachute, lands in piles of garbage bags and the cops are coming right at him. They're about to mow him down and he jumps up and goes feet first right through his windshield. Um, and it's like 
there is just like you said physics gone mm -hmm. there's no sense for this it's superhuman strength um but it's an homage to comic action and in that sense like exactly what it's trying to do it works out really well it reminded me a lot of actually uma thurman bursting out of the coffin in uh kill bill 2 where mm. she's buried alive and like obviously this is impossible all that weight there's no way somebody can get out of it but somehow it's it's happening and we kind of like i'm gonna i'm okay with this i'm gonna believe this for a minute mm -hmm. so you should have seen kill bill one <laughs> Even more. I also, bet. Mickey Rourke, <laughs> legitimately great, I think. If if you want to pinpoint one performance that I think is like mm -hmm. actually legitimately great and not just fun, I think it's him. Love his performance here. Very good. Golden Takes, what's yours, Mike? Sin City played a huge role in advancing digital video production. I think before this, shooting on film was the norm and digital was kind of seen as a little bit hacky. Um, directors were experimenting with it and 28 Days Later, and Star Wars, the prequels uh, in the early 2000s, they were kind of early adopters, but they weren't shot entirely on digital. Collateral was, but obviously to no real special effects that purpose. That looks pretty slick. Yeah. Collateral. Um, but then Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow comes along the world the year before uh, Sin City. And I think that kind of blows the doors wide open, you know, full digital, full green screen. And Sin City takes all of that another step forward and Robert Rodriguez I remember at the time I was I was kind of obsessed with and he was a huge proponent of digital and I watched all the special features on I bet his, you I, I believe you oh I, I was I believe you so into it but he released three <laughs> movies that were all digital between 2002 and 2003 Once Upon a Time in Mexico Spy Kids 2 and Spy Kids 3D and this was during a time when nobody was really making movies in all digital and he made three in two years and Back then, I, I just remember him talking about how it was the future, you know, it was faster and cheaper and you didn't need to wait till the end of the day to see what your scene was going to look like. Mm -hmm. You can see on the monitor exactly what it was going to be and you could adapt on the fly. And I can't think about that and look at today's Marvel movies and how they're almost all either fully or mostly shot in digital and not just think, we've come a long way and Robert Rodriguez's name doesn't really come up a lot. Yeah. It, it, you know, in that sort of transition. And I think it should. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Nolan, which uh, was directed the previous movie that we did a podcast episode about Batman begins. He's famously anti-digital. Mm -hmm. I believe he still uses film even today in 2022. Oh yeah. So does Quentin Tarantino, who's good mm -hmm. friends with Rodriguez. They're like on opposite sides of the spectrum, mm -hmm. but I think this movie is super innovative. And even though I wasn't really as jazzed about it, as I was back in 05 when I saw it for the first time, that doesn't take away from the achievement, I don't think. So it was not as good this time around as it was in 20, 2005. I think that at the time, the newness of the style and how much it leans into the digital and what how it uses that was, it kind of, it was just so super cool and I'd never seen anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I'd seen the movies several times since and you know, it doesn't have that same, that same splat when it hits you. <laughs> I'm looking for that splat, You're looking Brian. for the splat. Yeah, the I'm splat looking, effect. I'm looking for a splat. Um, Frank Miller, uh, in his long career with creating, writing comic books and drawing comic books, um, he finally got a chance to develop Daredevil into a bigger deal of a character. And um, he said, I realized it was my secret in to do crime comics with a superhero in them, unquote. And that's kind of my golden take about this movie, Sin City, is that it's like 
there's clearly like, um, you know, he, he's he obsessed about pulp crime yep. stories and the cadence of the, of the dialogue and everything else. When I first started watching it, I was like, man, every line in here is a big fat info dump. <laughs> and it is. But it's kind of the point is like he's he's using that style and playing it up as big as possible. Um, and so my 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 thought is like, how do you tell a crime story again after all these crime stories? You know, every it's been done for 100 years, crime story after crime story. And well, you do it by doing it in this in, in the most ext- most extreme, strange format that you can. Um. Again, I thought a little bit about Spider-Man, you know, how do you make a comic book movie after all the comic book movies that have been made, um, including Spider-Man? Well, you you tell a crime story disguised as a comic, and just mashing those genres together um, makes it a, a landmark. Yeah, Daredevil, Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, um, and this. I think that, that all kinds of... That all of them sort of fall into the noir bucket where he's doing that, trying to explore sort of more gritty human stories. Yep. You except of, all these people have, you know, superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> right. You so know, Batman, I guess not, but you know. Yeah. Uh, questions. What is Mike? I go first. Chauncey, <clears throat> maybe, or maybe, I'm not sure, of the Sun Sentinel wrote, quote, really, there is no reason for anyone to make a comic book film ever again. Miller and Rodriguez have pushed the form as far as it can possibly go, unquote. You agree? <laughs> Is that it? We're done with comic book I movies? I think if you look at the timeline of comic book, mo- comic book movies as starting with Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, which I don't even know if that was a comic, but <laughs> yeah, it feels like one, and this, then that's 100% true because it's all the same sort of aesthetic, but... No other comic book movies? No, that's crazy. I mean, A History of Violence is a comic book movie. Right. And I'm, I'm, I love that it looks nothing like this, but I'm very happy that this exists because the world needs weird, crazy, big swings like this. And um, as far as movies that feel the most like a film noir, like a noir black and white comic book, this one wins. So I agree with him in that on that in that respect. I think this kind of statement is almost bound to come back and look <laughs> dumb. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's like it's Old. like it's like there's no trust in people's innovative power to to push boundaries in art. You know, art every, every art form is continually being renewed, and that's what's so fun about about movies and all other kinds of art forms. So. Um, what might have been, or you have a question for me. Mark Savlov, Austin Chronicle. He says, for those who enjoy their tough guy testosterone, straight up, no chaser. <laughs> it's a 120 proof sucker punch to the cinematic solar plexus. I totally agree <laughs> with this. I think the movie is such a great style exercise, pulpy, decadent, even comedy. So my question is, was that enough for you? You know, is Did the style transfer to substance for you? Well, first of all, I- Chaser 120 proof. I don't know what any of these terms mean. Um, <laughs> They're alcohol terms, Brian. <laughs> um, well, it, it's funny you, you ask this because at the end of the movie, and again, what little I, I, I didn't actually read the whole comic book, the, you know, the graphic novels that were in, in front of it. Um, but I found myself kind of more intrigued by the paper form 
the paper version of it than the movie form. And I kind of was thinking like, it almost seems like that was as good as you're going to get in the paper form. Um, it, it does translate a lot mm-hmm. and, and it's, 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 uh, it's about as close as you could get, you know, to doing it without actually just putting panels on the screen somehow. Um, which it seemed like in a preview I saw of the next Sin City that they kind of do that. Is that true or not? I don't remember. It's not as good though. I yeah. Would, yeah. Um, but I found myself kind of thinking that, again, the emotion that I think that they wanted me to feel with some characters, it didn't quite like do it. Emotion. It's funny that you even say that word with this movie. But But they're like... You know why does the what is motivating the character? Well, it's it's supposed Marv is supposedly like trying to track down Goldie, who he had like a one night stand with, and it makes it seem like he's in love with her. And it's like that's what's driving him to go off and do all these things. And I'm kind of like, I don't really know. I don't really feel that, you know. So I'm I'm going along for the ride, but like. And, and, and it's it's in so many directions with so many different characters on all these little storylines that in each one it's like it, it's 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 asking a lot for you to buy into the emotion of these characters every time um, without spending very much time with them. So what I'm saying is I wish that we had a, a three hour version of the movie, <laughs> you know, like with all the other movies that we watch. Yeah, everything would be better if it's three hours. Yes, it would be. I, I don't emotion. I don't think that you're really supposed to connect with I, I the emotions. Know. Yeah. And it was a one night stand with someone that he barely knew. So I don't think that you're supposed to get that love. It's just more that. But that's what no one's says. ever been nice to him. I think you that I mean? the characters in this movie sort of exist to die. They know that they're going to yeah. die. And the only question is, what do I stand for before I die? Yeah. And each of them has their own role to play. I, I, I have some some quotes each one of them says something like bruce willis says old man dies young girl lives fair trade clive owen says um it's time to show your friends that you're worth a damn sometimes sometimes that means dying sometimes that means killing a lot of people and marv says worth dying for worth going to hell for like each of them has their own thing that they've kind of decided like this is the soapbox that i'm going to stand on and this is the thing that i'm going to go down with and I don't know. That, that's kind of enough for me. This that's, is, that's like the engine to move the style along, I think. This is a movie that um, was on a list that I saw of like the most critically divisive movies. Um, and let's see, it's on, it was from IndieWire of like the last 20 years and they put Sin City as number three. Um, the most, where critics could not agree. You know, some hated it, some loved it. And I think that because of the style, it's a movie that I think, again, I, I was kind of turned off by the dialogue at first and you said you loved it. Mm-hmm. And I think by the end, I kind of was like, you know what? I think I'm more willing to enter this world by the end than I was at the beginning. It's like, I think that I would probably enjoy it more on a second watch than a first watch, which has happened several times. And I read all the books first. So maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's part maybe of it. That's why maybe you know what you, you know what you're getting into. You know what to expect. Yeah. This is a movie where you have, you, you cannot really prepare yourself very well for this, this movie. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and in some ways I think I'll give total credit to them because you want to be surprised. You know, you want to kind of experience something f- totally fresh and this does that. Um, but there, there's some of it that I was kind of expecting. I'm bringing my own expectations into it. 
that kind of like, I couldn't quite figure out what to do with. So um, I don't know if I answered your question. You said, is that enough? Is the 120 proof chaser is enough? The, is the style, <laughs> did that ever transform into substance for you? For me, it did. For you, it kind of sounds like you're in the middle. I think I would have to see it again to really give the style another chance, okay. I guess is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Um, so what might've been Mickey Rourke, I just did a little bit of reading up on Mickey Rourke, things that he could have been in, but wasn't, um, Beverly Hills cop. <laughs> it eventually went to Sylvester Stallone and then actually to Eddie Murphy, kind of like interesting, Weird, okay. a lot of script revisions. He could have been uh, Jack Crawford, Scott Glenn's character in silence of the lambs, 1991. Hmm. He turned down Bruce Willis's role in Pulp Fiction. Hmm. Trivia. Uh, again, Mickey Rourke, he was a boxer. I, maybe everyone in the world knows this, but he was a boxer, um, at one point in an amateur boxer. At one point he scored 12 consecutive first round knockouts. <laughs> Just think about that for a second. That's a tough actor right there. Um, he had earned a million dollars by the end of his second year of pro boxing, but he had all kinds of injuries. Uh, pretty bad stuff, and he had to get you know surgically re, re re put back together, and he you know event eventually went on to uh, w um, do the wrestler, which made him pretty uh, prestige. Um, keep it or kick it. Is this in your top five? Solid, close. I don't think it's gonna make, make my top five. Hmm. In two thousand five. I loved this movie. Yeah. Loved it. Five-star movie. When you proposed it as a bonus episode, were you expecting this was going to be in your top five? No, but I I felt like I owed it to my past self <laughs> to have it. Is that what this podcast is all about, Mike? Your partly, past I, I've, self? I've seen all these movies before. <laughs> so it is partly sometimes going back to the ones that I haven't seen in a really long time and saying, I wonder how my reaction um, as a, you know, supposed adult, um, compares to my reaction when I was 17 and 18, when I saw these things for the first time in mm -hmm. theaters and I was like gaga over them. I still think that there's a lot of innovation here. I kind of wish though that they weren't as loyal to the source material, especially when it comes to the writing. I love Frank Miller's style, but he does lean on the repetition a lot mm -hmm. for like, bookends of scenes or characters or arcs or whatever and they do that over and over and over because yeah. we're dealing with three separate stories it's in hard this. to keep it all straight sometimes honestly like for me it was yeah yeah plus um, who knows what's getting cut out i just I, my clear I feel like version. it could have been written better with a little bit with a little bit more um editing but anyway i still think it's great it's probably gonna make my top 10 um mm -hmm. but it's not gonna make my five yeah, it, it won't be in my top five. I would be open to watching it again someday. Sort of like Requiem for a Dream might take a might take a little while. Oh, that's before a top fiver. Before I'm ready for it. <laughs> um, but uh, in our next episode, we'll talk about Munich, which is a Best Picture nominee. Steven Spielberg's real life spy story. We want to hear from you. You can find us at bestpicturethis.com on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you listen. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Best Picture This. And for 15 years of golden takes, head over to Letterboxd where you'll find me, Mike Cavalieri. But way more important than Letterboxd, head over to patreon.com <laughs> slash bestpicturethis. Thanks to WNZF and to the illustrious Mark Gilliland for producing. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Speaking of Mark, you know, he is our producer. Illustrious. Most of the time. But there is one part of this episode that was produced by Quentin Tarantino. So let us know if you can guess which part. Chicken.